Are you hearing that? A lot, of, a lot of feedback. Okay. Father, uh, this morning, as we think about Jesus and what was before him, and yet he had a willingness to lay his life down, to sacrifice, Lord, and to receive something that he did not deserve but it was something that each of us did. Lord, we just praise You for that this morning. And Lord, in response to that, we just want to lay our lives down. We just acknowledge that You are the rightful King, not only of this world, but You are the rightful King of our lives. And so Lord, I just invite You to come and just show us places where uh, we have made ourselves king or queen instead of putting you in your place, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about vision. Oftentimes, or almost all the time, our vision is shaped by our desires. And what I mean by that is, we oftentimes see what we want to see. That's something you've probably heard before. Each of you could witness an event in front of you right now, and you would have different perspectives of that event based on your desires or your preconceived notions. All right, just a little example. If Trevor were to stand up right now and kind of stumble, and I reached over and kind of helped him, even though each of you would see that, you would probably have different perspectives of it based upon your thoughts of me, for one. For those of you who think I'm a nice guy, you might say, oh, that was so nice. Kirk reached out and he helped Trevor in a moment of need when he was about to plant his face in the ground. Now, for those of you who kind of think I'm a jerk, you're vision of the event might have been, did you see that? Kirk lunged at him and it caused him to almost trip and fall on his face. For those of you who think I'm a little bit creepy, you might be like, did you see that? Kirk took advantage of that moment and tried to touch Trevor when he was in a vulnerable moment. You see what I'm saying? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Our preconceived notions shape what we see. And it happens all the time. Now sometimes it can be sad and sometimes it can be funny, but here's the thing I want to get to. When it comes to the Lord and the way that He's leading our life and what He's doing, our desires shape what we are seeing and we really need God's perspective to understand what's going on in our life and the lives around us. I mean, we need it bad because the consequences are huge. This will shape our lives. And it takes uh, humility and it takes time for us to say, God, show me. Show me what I need to see. Because the place that where all of us can go is this. We, when we have these preconceived notions and so on, even if we're willing to ask God something, 
where we can find ourselves is not really waiting for the answer. And we're going to look at an example of that this morning. And it's an example of all of us. Because all of us can go there. It's one of the reasons that God has given us a family. You heard people talking about that this morning in prayer time. We need a family around us to speak things into us because of our desires and our preconceived notions to help us see clearly. So many times when I really need an answer for something, I have a hard time hearing from the Lord. And the reason is, is because I have a hard time just hearing what He wants to say because I have some strong desires. If it's something that I'm really wanting to hear from the Lord on, it probably means I have strong desires, strong wants. I want it to be a certain way. And it's really hard for me to just hear. And so that's one of the reasons that I need people around me that I can say, you know what? Will you pray over this with me? And will you try to hear from the Lord and just speak what you hear? Because when we're in the middle of something, it's hard to hear from the Lord. This morning, I want to look at um, several different um, accounts of an event that took place. I want to look at the event when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Last week we talked about Judas and we talked about his betrayal. Now I want to go to that moment when that betrayal happened. And I want to look at a couple different accounts because each of the four Gospels give us uh, some different details of what took place. The first place I want to go is actually John chapter 18. Our main text is going to be Luke chapter 22. But I want to look at John 18 because it gives us a little bit of perspective of what took place. And one of the things that you're going to see here that I really want to hone in on is that you're going to find Peter who asks a question and he doesn't wait for the answer. He doesn't wait for the answer because he's already decided what the answer is. But he loves the Lord and, and he looks to the Lord as his authority and so on. And, and he wants to do what the Lord says. But the problem is that he already has an idea of what's right. He's really convinced of it. And he asks a question, but he doesn't wait. He just moves forward. Now I want to context before we really get into that though. In John uh, chapter 18, it says that after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Judas had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Now, before I go on, I just want to stop right there. Judas is leading this group of men. They are, uh, it's at night, okay? They are armed to the teeth. Uh, some would say that he had between 300 and 600 soldiers with him. 
All right, this is a massive amount of people. Imagine if uh, you know even half of those are carrying torches. Uh, the amount of light that's happening. Okay, they're approaching this small olive grove. Uh, this is an intense situation. I mean, think about that. You just pretend for a moment that you're one of the disciples and you're Jesus, and this is a place that He's taken you often. It's away from everything. It's nice and quiet. Uh, it's a. I mean, you find that uh, several of them were sleeping. Okay. I mean, it's a peaceful place, and then all of a sudden, all of that is interrupted by people who've never been there during the time that you're there, and they're coming in and they're looking serious. Um, the disciples don't know what's going on, but Jesus does. Judas does. So it goes on. It says Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them and said, Who are you looking for? They replied, Jesus the Nazarene. Now, in the New Living Translation, it says, Jesus says, I am He. Now, actually, when you look in the original language, He is not there. He says, I am. He doesn't step forward and say, I'm Jesus the Nazarene. He steps forward and says, I am. Now, if you know your Bible, here's what that means. That is who God referred to Himself as when He told Moses who, uh, to the Hebrews who He was. Just simply, I am. So Jesus is making a declaration at that point. I am. I am God. And he's saying that not only to Judas, he's saying that to three to six hundred soldiers who are armed to the teeth. I am. What happens next? Verse 6 says, as Jesus said, I am, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Think about the power that happened in that moment. All Jesus did was say, I am. And all of a sudden, three to six hundred soldiers, poof, they're on the ground. Okay, if you're a soldier <laughs> and some dude just said something and you and the rest of everybody with you just fell to the ground, do you think you might have some fear at that moment? You know what? They didn't. Maybe they did, but it didn't stop them. They stood right back up and they proceeded to arrest Him. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that is nuts. I mean, He just declared, I'm God, and He did something that in my mind is some pretty strong evidence that He is God. But yet, they stood back up and they proceeded to arrest Him. Now what Jesus was doing was this. Jesus was making it clear that I am God, and that no matter how many soldiers you bring here, you cannot take Me, but I am going to lay My life down. But you know what? They couldn't see it. Why? Because they had preconceived notions and desires in their head. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, 
They had decided Jesus is not God, and so therefore they couldn't see it. And the soldiers that were there, they had decided He's not God or they wouldn't have been participating in it. And even though they saw something that clearly shows them He's God, there they are. But forget about that. Let's go back before that. Scripture records that or states that if all the miracles that Jesus performed were put in a book, I mean, it, it, the world couldn't contain it. It was, just, it was just too much. And so the reputation of Jesus went before these people. That's why they had 300 to 600 soldiers to arrest one person. One person who doesn't have any weapons, okay, has never shown violence. Well, he did clear the temple. A little bit of violence. But they're there with all these soldiers because they've got a fear. I mean, they've seen all the miracles. But despite all the miracles, there they go to arrest him. Why? Because they have desires, preconceived notions in their head. Here's why I want to state that. Because we do too. And your desires and your preconceived notions, they have huge consequences. And you need to understand that. And when you understand that, what you do is you can say, okay, God, I understand that I can't see clearly. I need you to clear things up. And so when you read things in Scripture, instead of just saying, ah, that can't be right, I'm going to rearrange that. Instead, we say, God, show me how to see this through your eyes because there is something blocking my vision and I'm not seeing you clearly. There was a quote that a friend of mine wrote on Facebook this week that I really loved. He said that whenever he gets to a point that he's reading through Scripture and he agrees with it all, he knows that he's made Jesus into an idol. Because there are always things in Scripture that go against our own thoughts, that cause us to wrestle with what God's saying. And whenever that happens, we know, okay... (laughs) I'm seeing God as He is. But if you're going through and your flesh doesn't wrestle with things that you read in Scripture, that probably means you're twisting some things around to just kind of conform to what you want. So let's go back to the passage. Here they are. They've fallen down on the ground. They get back up. They they know about all the miracles of Jesus. They're going to proceed on ahead. No matter what the facts are, (laughs) they're going to proceed on ahead to arrest Him. So it goes on. Um, and it says that I told them that I am He, Jesus said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill His own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Now I want to stop right there, and now I want to jump to Luke. I want to jump to Luke because it shows an important part of the story here that I want to get into. Luke chapter 22. um, I want to start in verse 49. When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. Okay, now just to give you an idea of the sequence of things, okay? So at first, as they approach, they ask for Jesus of the Nazarene. He says, I am He. They fall back, okay? They get back up. 
Now, at this point, this is when this happens, okay? The disciples, and especially Peter, as some of the other Gospels proclaim, he's kind of the ringleader here. Lord, should we fight? We've got our swords. Now, when Jesus said, I am, and they fell down, the point that he was showing again was that you can't take me, I'm going to lay my life down. But see, that's not how Peter saw it. (laughs) Because in Peter's mind, he had certain desires and he had certain uh, ideas about how things were going to be. And his ideas were this. His ideas were that Jesus had come uh, to establish an earthly kingdom and Peter was going to be a part of that kingdom. And so therefore, because of that, Jesus could not be taken and Jesus could not die. Peter had to fight so that he could be the king of this world. Jesus had not been telling him that. Jesus had been telling him that his kingdom was not of this world. But Peter didn't hear it because he had other desires and other notions of what he wanted. No matter what was said to him, this is what He wanted. I've been reading a book on um, the LDS church. Many of you know it's, it's what I come from. And in this book, the author wrestles with a lot of the problems in the LDS and with its founder. I mean, he's genuine with the problems. But the crazy thing is, and in some ways this takes my hope away, is that no matter what the problem, he takes it and he spins it into something of God. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, just let me give you a for instance. Their founder, Joseph Smith, okay? Before he founded the LDS Church, he was known for taking what's called a seer stone and telling people that he could find treasure for them. And so people would hire him to go out on their ground with this seer stone and try to locate treasure. And guess what? He never located treasure. Oh, he would get paid. And so he faced charges for this. Now, the author addresses this. And he says, yep, this really happened. But instead of saying, okay, you've got a guy who's trying to fool people and make money off of it and say, well, gee, maybe there's a problem with this whole Book of Mormon and everything else that he's brought about that's been proven. Instead, he says this. He says, you know what? What this shows is is that God was preparing him. God was preparing him through the magic that he was performing so that he could one day uh, you know, translate the Book of Mormon and lead these people. And as I heard that, I'm just like, huh, I, how, can you, how can you look at that? I mean, the Scripture is clear about magic. That is not of God. I mean, but yet they use it to say that, no, that was God preparing him. And so I look at that and I'm just like, oh, but here's the thing. Then I look at myself and I say, where am I doing the same thing? Because I have certain things that I desire and certain things that I want. And so now no matter what I see, I turn it into what I want to see. And when I ask God for something or ask Him a question, instead of waiting on the answer, I rush forward. Why? Because God's moving slowly and He needs me to get out in the lead and show Him how it's done. Now that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But that's exactly what Peter was doing, and that's what you and I do 
when we don't listen to God's answer, when we say, I don't think you really meant that. I think here's what you really meant. This makes much more sense. You see what I'm saying? When you're doing that, you're in a bad place. I'm still getting ringing up here. Um, So, he asked, should we fight? We brought swords. And then it says, and one of them, okay, in the other Gospels, I'm not going to bounce around. This is Peter. Struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said no more of this, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. Okay, now maybe you've heard this, you know, a number of times, and so you just kind of read over it and you don't really think about it much, but this act of Peter had huge consequences. Okay, this says slave, but what this means is this guy was like high priest's assistant. Like, kind of like his personal bodyguard, if you will. This guy had prestige. We hear the word slave and we think, oh, he's a nobody. No, no, no. This guy had prestige, okay? So you think about uh, today trying to form it to somebody, I don't know, the the guy next to the Pope or something that, you know, follows him around. I don't even know if that's a thing or not. But this had prestige, okay? This guy out in front of the crowd, obviously, because he was right there with Jesus and the disciples, to take a swing at him. Now, I want you to pause, and I want you to think, what if he didn't get healed? And by the way, I want to say this also. There is no way Peter was aiming for his ear. He was not aiming for his ear. For those of you who are trained in any kind of battle or combat, okay, you may see on the movies somebody, you know, shooting a gun out of somebody's hand or, you know, nicking them in the ear. Okay, that stuff's not real. When battle happens, you lose control of your, uh, you know, ability to do little movements like that, okay? Uh, And what happens is you go into this tunnel zone and what we're trained to do is to actually go for uh, the mass, okay? Center mass, it's called. And what that means is I'm, I'm going for right in here. Why? Because in the heat of the moment, okay, I'm probably not going to be able to hit a small target. I want to go for a big target. There is no way in this moment that Peter is aiming for his ear. Peter is aiming for his head, It is God who stepped in and saves Peter. What if Peter would have been successful in what he tried to do? Peter would have been executed. Think about the plans that God had for Peter and all that God was going to do with him. In that moment, boom, it's gone. Peter's executed. Why? Because of this. He asked the Lord a question and he didn't wait. Because he had a preconceived notion of what needed to happen. And he saw his moment and felt, I need to act now. And his moment was this. You see, Jesus laid him back so that it would show that they couldn't take him. But Peter took it as, oh, I can win. I can step up, defend Jesus, take him out, and he'll be king. 
and he's going to be so proud of me. He's going to be cheering me on, lifting me up. Everybody's going to be like, Peter, Peter, you're awesome. That's not reality. Reality was he wasn't listening to what God wanted. Now, God protects him from taking his head off, which is no doubt what he was aiming for. But he still takes his ear off. Now, even that, there would have been serious consequences. But Jesus steps in and he heals his ear. Now, here's what I want to say to you. I want to bring out this fact Many times we get ahead of God because we have these false notions of what our life should be like, what others' life should be like, and so on. But here's the thing. God is great. Even though maybe you've done that very thing, God can step in, does step in, and He's able to bring healing where it should be impossible. I mean, He steps in and He heals his ear. We don't know how it happened. Did he pick it up, put it back on him? Did it just grow a new one? I mean, you know, put the old one in his pocket, kind of a keepsake. I'd, maybe so. Maybe he gave it to Peter. You know, Peter, remember this next time you're thinking about jumping forward and you ask me a question. We don't know. But he brought about healing. Now, because he brought about healing, what would happen at the end of the story is that Peter's life would be used to radically impact... I mean, the numbers are countless because we're still being impacted by His life and the things that we we read about that He wrote because He reached a place where He finally decided, okay, God, even though I don't get it, I don't understand it, and it's not what I want, I'm going to lay my life down before You, and God used Him in powerful ways. And it's still happening today. This is how God wants to use us, but here's where we got to go. We got to lay our life down and say, God, it's all about you. But in order to do that, here's, here, there's going to be some things that happen. Number one, one of the reasons that Peter uh, didn't want to go along with the plan that Jesus had is because it meant suffering. And we don't like suffering especially in our current culture today, the American church culture, we've come up with all kinds of new theologies to prevent suffering. Just one example, uh, many of you hear about the tribulation, okay? Tribulation's real. You hear about rapture, that's real, okay? Uh, But one of the things that came along in the 1960s is that we got this idea that we're not going to have to be here for any of it. We're just going to go up at the very beginning. That did not exist before the 1960s. That's when it came to place because we don't want to be involved in any kind of suffering whatsoever. Now today we have all kinds of teachings that, that you know, we, we, we emphasize the grace of God, which the grace is huge, okay? But we interpret the grace of God as you don't have to suffer at all. God just wants to put out all kinds of blessings on you and He doesn't ask you to sacrifice anything. That is not the path of Jesus and that is not the path of His followers. Does God bless us? Amazingly. Is His grace uh, the main point? Absolutely. It's huge. Does He ask us to follow in His footsteps and sacrifice and even suffer at times? Yes, He does. But over and over, Scripture says, it is worth it. But you see, if I don't want that, then I'm going to block it and I'm not going to see it. And I've got all kinds of preachers that I can turn on and listen to 
that are going to tell me all about the good stuff and how there's no bad stuff. But you know what? If you follow that path, you're going to be following the path of those 300 to 600 soldiers who were all deceived because they had a way that they wanted to see something. You're going to be following the path of Peter at that point who could have lost everything. Could have lost his life at that point and not been used the way that God wanted to use him because he had an idea how things were going to be and instead of listening to God, he was moving forward. Now, what happens though when God corrects us? What happens when, uh, even though God's gracious and you know He, he heals and, and takes care of our consequences, what can happen at that point is that we can be so discouraged that even though before we were bold, confident, you know, jumping out in front of God, we can be like Peter in that place to wanting to hide. Because that's exactly what happened to Peter in the course of one night. In the course of one night, he started off ready to fight an entire army to save the Lord. And before the night was over, He's denying the Lord to a young girl who's asking about Him. Why? Because God made it clear that Peter wasn't understanding things correctly and that he was trying to get ahead of him. And so Peter was so crushed. I mean, he didn't know what to do. He just went and crawled in a hole, if you will. Now, maybe you're in that place. Maybe uh, God's been speaking to you about this and you've gone back to that place where you just you, you want to crawl in the hole. Well, just like Peter, God wants to call you back out and say, this doesn't mean that I don't want to use you. I actually have great plans for you. But I needed you to experience what you experienced so that you would not get out in front of me. And so when Jesus goes back to Peter later on as he, after he's risen from the dead and he says, do you love me? He's reinstating Peter and he's reinstating a new Peter. One that has seen the consequences. And that's where the Lord wants to take us. So here's the question. Where are you getting out in front of the Lord? Where do you have preconceived notions that this is how I want it? And even though you're asking God about it, it really doesn't matter because you've already got the preconceived notion and no matter what He says and no matter what He does, you're going to see it a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Well, here's the good news. God can break through that. And so I just want to invite you this morning, along with myself, just to ask the Lord, Lord, where am I not seeing clearly? Lord, where am I trying to get out in front of You because um, I don't want to wait? You know, again, one of the big things that we wrestle with, just like Peter, is that we want to make God's kingdom of this world. Now, God's kingdom is here, okay? And we see it all around. And God wants to demonstrate His kingdom through you to others. But hear this, His kingdom is not of this world. And what that means is, is that one day His kingdom is going to come in fullness and it's going to take over this world. And if you follow Him, you're going to get to be a part of that and you're going to get to be a part of that eternally. But if you try to make His kingdom of this world, you're going to get really frustrated. 
Because you're going to say, God, why is that person allowed to, um, to be successful right now? Well, one of the things that Jesus said in this passage that we didn't get to is, He said that you know Satan was, and the kingdom of darkness, they were having their moment right then. Well, He's still having His moment to a certain extent. And if you don't understand that, you're going to get really frustrated. Bad things are going to happen, okay? You're going to see the kingdom, but bad things are going to happen. Eventually, unless Jesus returns, you're going to get sick of something and you're going to die. And that doesn't mean that you didn't have enough faith. And that doesn't mean that God wasn't big enough to heal you. It means that God was choosing, choosing to let it happen. Just like God chose to lay His life down and suffer on a cross. He was choosing it. And if you don't understand that, you're going to get really mad and you're going to get really discouraged. That's why we need to be listening for the Lord. Lord, do you want to bring about healing here? Then okay, I'm going to pray for it and I'm going to believe it and it is going to happen. But if you say, Lord, am I, am I to pray for healing here? And He says no, you don't say, no God, I don't think you understand. <laughs> If this doesn't happen, then this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and you don't want that, so this needs to happen. That's where we go to. And again, it's all out of what we think is good motives, but actually the motive is we're not submitting ourselves to Him and saying that, gee, I don't understand everything. We become a perpetual teenager. The one that knows everything and is never going to grow out of it. We don't want to be that. Sorry, teenagers. I'm speaking out of a little bit of pain right now. But God's able to reveal. God's able to reveal if we will simply humble ourselves and say, God, where am I getting ahead of you? Where am I trying to make this world, um, you know, my permanent place? Scripture makes it clear. These bodies we have, they're temporary. A temporary tent, it's called. Quit trying to make it your permanent home. It's not. It's going to get old. It's going to get wrinkly. It's going to get weak. It's the way it is for all of us. I'm not saying that we just run out and make it happen as quick as possible, but what I'm saying is we keep our eyes and our heart on what God is preparing us for, which is His kingdom coming and it being eternal. Father, um, I just ask that You bring about some revelation to us this morning. Um, I ask that You speak through us to one another. And that You show us, Lord, places that we're being blinded because, Lord, we don't want to miss out on the good things that You have for us. Thank You that You're gracious with us just like You were with Peter. And when we step out ahead of You, Lord, You're willing to protect us and You're willing about to bring about healing and restoration uh, in places where, Lord, we deserve to pay the penalty. And thank You, Lord, that You went before us to pay the ultimate penalty. And thank You, Lord, that, that we can see that and not be condemned because You have paid it for us. And that is Your grace. Lord, I just pray that You would reveal any places that we're just not seeing things clearly, Lord. Places where we're trying to make this world a permanent place. Lord, thank You that it's not permanent because what You have planned is so much better than what we have in our own hearts and minds. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand.